Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to the French Rugby Podcast with me, Tim Graves, former France hooker, Benjamin Kayser, and congratulations are in order. Dad of three, Johnny Beatty joins us. How are you, Johnny? Good, mate. Um, delighted that I ended up not being in Italy um, for Italy against Fiji. Was very lucky that got cancelled because our little one arrived on Saturday night. Mum did uh, really, really well. Um, and that is definitely third and final, I would say. That's us, uh, family complete. So really good. Glad to have been there. Went really well. And um, yeah, he's been awesome so far. Six days old and not really crying, being really cool. I was going to ask on that point, did, did Jen listen to the podcast last week? Does she know this is the last one? Just checking. <laughs> <laughs> she definitely knows. That's must have been pushed by her. She doesn't want any, anyone near me anymore. Man. That's her done <laughs> rather than me. Are you not uh, sharing no. a birthday then? Yeah, we are. Um, That's awesome incredibly um and that was it like he came at 11 32 at night so he just snuck in so we, sh- we share a birthday 21st november which is pretty rare amazing um but really cool uh really really nice something to cherish for future congratulations again thanks congratulations man. and just before we move on tell us about the name because it's very on brand for the french rugby podcast isn't it and scottish rugby in general <laughs> is it i don't know it's just <laughs> and that's his name we've like obviously his big brother is lucky um and we want to you know another scottish boy finn's a very Scottish name, so very, very easy choice. I had a cousin called Finn growing up, um, who's an absolute bampot. Um, so he's gonna change the change the brand a little bit. He's gonna be the good Finn in the family. Um, I know he's been an angel so far, so so bless him. Well done. So not not named after a certain fly half, just no, confirmed. Man, nothing to do. <laughs> no, nothing to do with it. Nothing. And he's not the dad. I'm definitely the dad, I've confirmed. And Duncan Meatball. BT was not in the running, just no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Boulette or Meatball, we, he was never in the running, unfortunately, little Dunkey. Uh, he wasn't, but he did bloody well last weekend, bless him, little Duncan. Good lad. But a busy week for Johnny. How's, how's your week been, Benji? You were at Murrayfield, weren't you? Yeah, I was at Murrayfield, um, an empty, unfortunate Murrayfield. So we skipped on for, for what I think one of the best moments of international rugby, which is the moment where Flowers of Scotland is sung without the without the, the band behind, you know, a cappella or however you say, I think it just gives me goosebumps every time. I really do think that's a precious, precious moment of international rugby that I love to live. Unfortunately, we skipped on that. So a random atmosphere, not an extraordinary game, but a good solid win. It was really chuffed to, um, for the boys to deliver again and again. Uh, and I was blown away to see how Stuart Hogg did not see the, or played the same game as me. Because when he was interviewed at the end of the game, he said, we dominated France for 78 minutes. We just didn't know how to, 
how to convert that into points. Um, and we forced them to, well, we denied them their attacking sort of rugby and we forced them to kick all the time. So, okay, well, I, I think he's angry, which is fair. Um, but I didn't think, I didn't think he, he saw things straight. But as you can see, listen, I'm in my office now. So huge house improvements. And I didn't even see because I didn't check before we started. But you can see my wine cellar on one side and a wine fridge on one side and some books on the other side. That pretty much sums you up me at the moment. So I try to read them. And when I'm fed up, I turn to the fridge and I'm happy. <laughs> Normally people have their bookcase right behind them so you can see all the posh, fancy books that they've been reading. But yours is just to the side, so I can't tell what books they are. Are they all, pic- <laughs> are they, are they all picture books up there, Benji? Where's Wally? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like little cartoons and stuff. It's fantastic. Well, we will chat a bit more about Scotland, France uh, later on, and we'll get our guest on shortly. But we can't avoid the, the big subject in French rugby this week, the sad death of Christophe Dominici obviously a, a guy that you both knew and, and Benji in particular you knew him well so just want to get your reaction and obviously not just talk about his sad passing but the kind of legacy he leaves because such a massive figure in French rugby and and he inspired so many didn't he? Uh, so it is it is a hard heartbreaking um, event because it's one of the true French greats who, who left this planet um, like you said, his legacy, his soul will obviously stay behind. He was a, a fiery character with a huge heart. Um, and he, he was just a legend. You know, when guys are really good on the field, but they, they have this aura, this charisma, this something about them that is just sh- shines upon everyone. And that's who he was. So I, I can't say that I was a close friend to him because we're so different generations that it, it would be uh, uh, not true but I can definitely tell you because when I started in 2003-2004 he was on fire he was at peak of his career and he was a legend at Stade Francais and he helped me massively he was a legend he is he was that type of guy who would you know put your, your, your his arm around you and be like come on little fella just sit next to me you'll be fine and he was tiny he was a tiny little thing but he was like oh. you know he would go to, to to gym gym sessions and he would do half of it it's like don't worry bro it's all about the muscle fiber, muscle fiber. You got it or you don't. But he had this, he would back himself against mountains, against anything that made you think, a bit like Morgan Parra sort of reminds me in terms of psychology. If he can do it, bloody hell, I've got to do a thousand times better than him because he's just tiny. But he had, he had this self-belief that would shine on others. Let's, you know, let's conquer mountains. Let's, let's kill the biggest. Let's go for the, let's be the biggest, ballsiest team we could ever be. Like Richard Cockrell would say, it's time to put your nuts on the table and show everybody how big they are. And, and that's really, it was, that was his way of doing it. And with always a smile, um, very, very close to the forwards. He was always come to see us and he would just look after people. Like I remember after a huge night out in one of the fancy, fancy nightclubs he had, let me tell you, a very, very delightful lady at the back of his car that he decided to leave on the side because he only had a two-seater to drop me home because I was the 18-year-old who, who didn't have a car, obviously. He didn't have a dime to pay for a taxi. And that's the type of bloke that he was. Um, I didn't have any boots at the time. Uh, and I was going to go and buy some more and stuff. He said, how, how do you mean you don't have any boots? I said, yeah, I don't have a contract. He said, okay, hang on. And he called the Nike guy, bollocked him. The next day, I had a contract on, on my email. And then I signed for a couple of years with him. And, that's just, and he never wanted to thank you. He never, he's like, Psh, you know, you would like brush you off, whatever. He's just a legend, nice, kind, um, uh, with a, an incredible charisma. But then the, the flip side to it, which really, really pisses me off, to be fair, is because I blame myself a little bit for it, is the fact that 
um, I think we, we still considering rugby that we're too big, too strong, invisible, invincible um, to, to ask for a hand. To, when shit happens, uh, we're troubled people because everybody's troubled. Everybody's got shit that they need to deal with. Uh, but nobody's bigger, uh, too big to need a hand. Nobody's too big to give a hand. And we should just look after uh, each other. And it just annoys me and really frustrates me to see that it went downhill after his rugby career because this gap left open is it can be filled with a lot of shit. And, and that's what happened to, to Dominici. And to lose somebody who's so, so precious is, is just sad. It's, 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 I'm incredibly sad for his family and, the, and his two young girls that he's leaving behind. And I, I really feel for them. But it's also down to us to look after each other. I mean, if we talk about brotherhood on the field, during the work, it's, it, there's brotherhood after. The values of rugby have to shine upon post-rugby, helping each other, lending a hand, uh, doing something for others. So incredibly sad, huge a monument of the game who's going to leave with the biggest game of France history, the semi-final against New Zealand, where he was just the best player on the pitch. That was him on the pitch. And on the other side, what, what I tried to tell you, and it's just, just a legend of a bloke, he'll be um, truly missed. Well said, Benji. And hugely, just hugely sad. Generally, you're in France, Johnny. Just the, the reaction there yeah. must have been just, just utter sadness. Horrible. Um, and I think as well, like on a personal note, like I didn't know, like I, I think I'd had a beer with him twice, really fleetingly, didn't get to spend that much time with him. But clearly a lovely bloke, that's for sure. But like the first part was even, like as a youngster being inspired by him, he's one of those players that got you out of your seat. He was electric. You know, I think 1999 World Cup was the standout you mentioned, Benji, but I can remember sitting at the back of school buses like we did and we'd be making like our dream or our world 15. He was in every time. Like he was just a complete game changer, rare gem um, that was phenomenal to watch. Firstly, as a young kid for me, he was one of those guys that was inspirational um, and just horribly sad um, to see what's happened. I think you're right, Benji, on the, the mental health aspect side in that I feel like there's been massive pushes from world rugby, but also through different organizations. A lot in the UK and I focused on rugby players, mental health, post-rugby, even during rugby, because we're so well protected in this bubble by clubs and by the sort of fraternity that we have with teammates 24-7. We're on WhatsApp groups. We're all with coffees with each other every day. Um, we have this kind of solid foundation. We're looked after so well. And then when we leave, that falls apart. And for a lot of guys, when they lose that structure, like for Domi, that's, that's a long time since he's retired. And obviously things have happened since then, but you still need that support network. I feel, but like, I don't know what you think, Benji, but I feel like we could do a bit more or something needs to be set up in France. There's obviously Proval, but the amount of different mental health, um, not companies, what's what I'm looking for, enterprises or charities that are, have been set up in the UK that do an amazing job, like Loose Heads, um, you know, there are hundreds of them that do such a fantastic job. I feel like France now could maybe take a step in that direction. And this might be the sort of event um, that gets something kicked off and created. Because I don't feel there's that much done. As a foreigner over in France, I don't feel that there's that much done for players that retire in France, especially the, the French guys. Um, and like, yeah, like you said, the general reaction, a complete sadness. Um, Horrible for the game, horrible for everyone that knew him, his family. Um, and some of the tributes that have come in and the stories that have been told about him have been phenomenal. Like Benji, you just mentioned there, like one that I didn't know about him, like Bernard Laporte always said that if you chuck Domi and four guys that weighed 120 kgs into a room, you chuck a big steak in the middle of the room, it's him that comes out with the steak. He was an absolute bear, like heart of a lion, an absolute beast of a player, despite his size um, and a world-class bloke. So horribly sad. 
um, and thoughts and prayers go to his family. Yeah, devastating news. And we should get our guests on now because he is a guy who will have been touched by Christoph as well. He's a man who didn't move over to France until very late in his career, but he's still living there now. It's former Wasps, Toulon, England and British Lions second row, Simon Shaw. How are you? I'm very well. And yourself? We're good. We're good. Where are you now? You, you live close to Toulon, is that right? Uh, well, where I am exactly is in a, an old disused water tank, which now serves as my office. Um, but I am in Toulon. Uh, the problem, I think I might have told this to you uh, at the, the, um, the rugby earlier in the summer, but this disused water tank uh, seemed like a good idea at the time of being in an office. Uh, it turns out in the, in the summer, it's 10 degrees or well, at least 10 degrees, probably more warmer in this office than it is outside. So you can imagine how hot that is in the summer in Toulon. And in the winter, it's, it's 10, 15 degrees colder. So, <laughs> so, it does, so it's really not been a good idea, but that's where, that's where I'm. I'm. I'm in Toulon, uh, have been for most of the lockdown. Um, so yeah, it's not, it's not the worst place to be in the world. To be honest, I mean, you, you can see Benji's office there. I mean, it's best... <laughs> It's better than that. Mine looks like a prison cell, so I won't worry. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just trying to think what you'd be wearing in 40 degrees in Toulon for a Zoom meeting, and I'm willing to bet it's not that much, Aussie. Well, uh, did, did, I not, did, I, did I share that little uh, Zoom meeting I had? Did I share that story with you? <laughs> I don't think you did, mate. Please do. Uh, so I, I came up here. I had a really important um, kind of brokerage deal with a, um, a major property deal going on, and and. To be honest, I wasn't. I was just literally the middleman. Didn't really know what, too much about what the transaction was or what was needed to be discussed at the time. So, uh, but obviously, being the person that put them together, I needed to be on that call. So I needed quiet as well. So I've got I've got four kids who are incredibly loud and 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 you know make the, their presence felt, uh, especially the worst possible time. So I just said, right, I've got to go up to the the back office, which is obviously this this water tank knowing that it was going to be insanely hot. So I went up there and I just thought, look, I'm going to end up literally sweating profusely whilst on this call. So I'm going to have to make it just a, a, you know, an audio call. So I escaped up here. I was on the audio call, had the phone sort of placed um, in front of me. I was literally teeming with sweat onto the phone, <laughs> thinking, God, I'm going to, this thing's going to explode soon. I ended up literally stripping down to my underpants because... I couldn't cope with the heat and I thought I was going to pass out. Now, coupled with that, I have uh, a fair amount of uh, animals in my residence. So we've, we've somehow accumulated animals, especially in lockdown. Uh, and two animals in particular make an awful lot racket when they see me because they think I'm like dad or mum. Raised these two geese from, from literally hatchlings <laughs> and they go absolutely mental when they see me. So I snuck past them earlier on in the day, like when I, before this meeting. And then I was obviously, as I say, sweating profusely, needed to get out of this water tank because I was just, I thought I was going to pass out whilst on the call. And obviously I didn't want to make too much noise, I either interrupt the meeting, just in case they asked, you know, for a contribution. And um, so I got to the point where I was about to pass out. I thought, geez, I've, I've got to go outside. So I've, I've gone out the door, literally in my underpants, um, only for the geese to spot me and start bleating insanely. <laughs> and you can imagine the, the other people on the call, it's like, what is going on? Who, what? 
where is he? He's got these these things literally making the most almighty racket. And I was stood there in my underpants and they start chasing after me. At which point, <laughs> I'm trying to run away to, to, to kind of avoid more um, more kind of questioning on the phone. Run around the garden, the entire length of the garden, being chased by two geese on the phone whilst in my underpants. <laughs> to think, well, the, my, only, my only solution to this is to get back into my office. <laughs> so I've now doubled the the heat that I'm experiencing because I run around the garden as well. So I'm just, oh, literally horrendous. It sounds like something out of a sitcom and all I can say is thank God it's November when we're doing this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I've got extra layers on. Mr. List, mate, what animals have you got? How many? Oh, mate, uh, geese, uh, loads of chickens. Uh, I had two rabbits, now I've got four. Probably going to get a few more in the next couple of weeks. Because Exponential. <laughs> Lockdown's been, uh, <laughs> been fairly boring <laughs> for the rabbits, so they've, they've enjoyed themselves amongst themselves. So there's going to be more of those, I'm sure. Uh, some goldfish, you know, various bits and bobs, and, and obviously for for children. Yeah. Or rabbit children. Oh, congratulations, by the way. Thanks, mate. Um, but there won't be a fourth for us. That's us. We're just saying four. Definitely done. Number three. That's us. Um. So, well, don't ring me if you need any advice later on when they when they've grown into to young adults and are even more painful than, than they are as children. <laughs> um, mate, I wanted to ask you really quickly before we get into your rugby a little bit about Christoph Dominici. Obviously, horrible news this week. Um, but you've known him probably more recently than most of us. Um, you've gotten to know him quite well over the past ten years. I just want to know a little bit about your thoughts and a little bit about the bloke. Um, and not reaction, but you know. Yeah, as you say, you know, I, I, I've only really met him over the last, I've got to know him over the last uh, six, seven years. Uh, I'm involved in a um, charitable uh, event called the Six Stations, which gets played in the, in the, in the Alps every year. Um, and it's, it's in the main, it's, it got started by Jan Deleg, who's obviously an ex Toulon player. And, and in the main, most of the guys involved are either ex Toulon or Toulouse. So obviously, Jan played, went on to play for Toulouse, and and Jan, you know, grew up with um, Domi and, and and knows him very very well. And obviously, you know, he's been on that that tournament and, and been amongst the group uh, for the last six seven years. And uh, you know, I mean, played against him and you know, sort of seen him as a player. You know how it's like. You, you, you pick out particular players and you see them more as irritants than than. You know, you just for some reason, probably because they're immensely talented and they, <laughs> you know, make you look like an idiot on the pitch. You become kind of almost, you know, in in a very odd way, you kind of dislike them, even though you don't know them. Um, Sorry, mate, you were disliking most of France for a long, long time. I'm telling yeah, you. Thanks, thanks, mate. Yeah, appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. Absolutely. Um, but. Yeah, Domi's one of those guys, you know, he, he made you look an absolute fool on the pitch. Um, but when you get to meet the guy, just the most uh, insanely funny, warm, uh, charismatic. Uh, yeah, just just one of those guys that you just, you come alive when, when he enters the room because you know the conversation's going to lift. You know that you're going to be in, you know, tears of laughter. Um, just yeah, so, so tragic, and and I I literally didn't know what to do myself with myself uh, over the last couple of days because I just kind of kept thinking how how tragic it was, um, you know that that he's passed, and and you know 
those sentiments have been shown all over the uh, all over social media, all over the internet, and it's it's just it's awful. And obviously, thoughts go out to his more immediate friends and his family because you know it's it's just a real tragedy. Absolutely, yeah, hugely sad news, and um, I'm, I'm sure his passing will be marked in France's game this weekend, and 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 it's it's been talked about lots in in France and over here in England as well. Um, we will talk about your career shortly, but I just want to get your take because we've been t- discussing the Autumn Nations Cup, and we'll talk about it a little bit later on as well. What's your view on where France are at at the moment? Because um, obviously, you all have worked with Sean Edwards, you know Fabian Galtier as well. Where, where do you think they're at at the moment? Well. I um, I was lucky enough to go to uh, the France England game last year. Completely lost my my train of thought in terms of the timings because of you know what's happened over the last year. Uh, but when when France uh, were when England were favourites, um, I was doing a pre-match sort of predictive chat with uh, Vern Cotter um, in a box and and. And I just had this feeling. I said, oh, look, I'm not, I'm not one of these guys that does loads of analysis, looks at individual players, individual kind of match-offs or anything like that. I just have this real like, gut feeling that this, this team um, are, are going to do some amazing things and it's, it's going to start today. And he goes, you know, Ben looked at me, he goes, crazy you've got these two young halfbacks you know they've barely got any experience in the international stage blah, blah, blah. Uh, no I see this only going one way and, and he went through pretty much every player and, and microanalyzed everything and I said well you know I'm just giving you my opinion I just I just think they're on a there's a, just a feeling I get from this group and um, and England obviously coming off the back of um, you know the, the final loss against South Africa that inevitably dents your pride and and has you know has a long longer term effect than most people like to think. So I I said that day I think this is this is going to happen for France. People, you know people need to listen up because this team is going to going to do some things. And I think they're on that road. Obviously there's going to be peaks and troughs and whatnot. But but I just think um, they're an uber talented side at the moment. And and what they've got, which is what England have had probably over the last sort of three or four years previous to that is they they don't have any fear factor against some of those bigger sides because you know under 20s level they've beaten everyone they've been world champions at that level a couple of years running so they when they come up against England the All Blacks you know anyone they'll look at you know I, I remember doing it when, when I was playing for England you look at the opposition you go well I, I beat this guy under 18s under 21s on you know you know, he's no different. Yeah, he might have, you know, got technically a little bit better and they, you know, training harder or whatever. But you know, I can have this guy. And and if if that runs throughout your squad, added to which, you know, I'm sure the the um, technical aspect of the, of the French game and the and the process and all that is is greater now than it's been before. You know, I see them going a long way. There's a guy that's made a big difference, mate, that you worked a long time with. So Sean Edwards, obviously the defence coach. Defensively, they've been fantastic. Can you give us a bit of insight into Sean Edwards? We've asked a few people, a couple of the French guys, but you know him very well. You've known him for a long time. What's he really like? I've not got the chance to work with him, and I'd love to know a bit more. Um, I mean, he's he's up there. Well, you know, if, if not the best coach, certainly up there in the top, my top three coaches of all time. He just, 
Um, you know, the one one thing that I, I look for in every coach um, in order to give me the belief and the inspiration to, to play for them is is passion, and and you know that's a kind of prerequisite. The co- your coach has got to be passionate about what he's doing. He's got to be passionate about the team, and, and <laughs> Sean is, you know, verging on lunacy in that department. So that that's a given. He's he's got that. Um, his his technical coaching, his his attention to detail is just extraordinary. Um, not you know, and it's not you know. I'm, I'm sure he watches hours and hours of videos. In fact, I know he watches hours and hours of videos. As do all coaches these days. I think it's like a, an area that's that's just become, you know, a must. Um, the whole breakdown and analysis of a game, pre-game, po- um, post-game, um, and he does that as everyone does. Uh, but he somehow manages to, manages to see things that co- other coaches don't see. Tiny, tiny little, you know, intricacies of your opposition, and and he armed with that. You know, and I don't know if he's lying half the time <laughs> just to make you feel like you're extra, you're extra informed. But um, I just remember he used to, you know, just pull players aside all the time, just go, you see the, you know, see, see the guy you're playing against today, right? He does this, that, the other, and he and, and, and watch out for this, and you know, and, and he's got the solutions for all the problems that they might that might arise as a consequence of playing that guy. So from that aspect, brilliant. He's his organisation of, of defence is second to none in my mind. Um, obviously, we we what he did at Wasps was transformative uh, when he joined us because you know it was his first major gig really, and and he brought a sort of rugby league style blitz defence into the Premiership, which no one had ever seen before, and, and ever, no one really believed would work. And uh, I think coupled with Gatlin's you know, knowledge and wisdom behind him, um, arming with with the belief that it could work um, for us. It was, as I say, transformative. And we we may not have won every game. We may not have been, you know, up there at the top of the league. But we always knew that in the big games, when it really counted, because blitz defence is it's all or nothing, right? You you, you go in half-hearted. You you know, teams will tear you apart. But when we were on our metal, there was there was nothing that could get past us or beat us, and and you know that's all down to him. So he was a phenomenal guy and, and incredibly entertaining off the pitch as well. <laughs> I was going to say, so Some he's examples. a real he's a real players coach. He obviously keeps his meetings very short, succinct to the point, um, but he obviously has a really good relationship with his players as well. He has to for the the job yeah, he does and yeah. to, to motivate them. So. Johnny said it. You must have some stories from from your days at Wasp. You said verging on lunacy. Come on, tell us something. Oh, but the problem is with Sean. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind saying about most other coaches. Probably, probably Sean. He probably turned up on my doorstep and <laughs> filled me. <laughs> up, but, but Just hide, hide in your water tank. Yeah, and he lives in France now, so it's not even likely enough to work out how to get through passport control. Um, he's. Oh, no! I just look. It, uh, there's a couple. There's a couple of times in in uh, in in meetings, as much as as you know, out drinking with the lads, um, where he just he just you know set the set the, the team rolling about laughing. Um, he he um, 
it sort of you could see you could tell that he sort of uh, practiced um, this you know how he's going to come into this meeting we, we, it won somewhere really convincingly like you know by by mega points um, but we, we conceded a try and uh, you know it was always his thing that you know yeah you know, he can if we conceded a try he conceded a try you know he'd take the punishment we'd take the punishment and it was only one try it was like and I think it was like the final minutes of the game and, and that was even worse because you know we, we you know, we could have got through the game, you know, without conceding a try versus, I don't know how many we scored. But he obviously, he was super happy that the fact that we'd beaten whoever we'd beaten by by some margin. But at the same time, he had to make a point of, of this try. Um, so, so he'd obviously practised, rehearsed this thing because he, he wanted to make it seem like he was serious about it. So he... Uh, <laughs> He got. He stood at the front of the meeting room, and we used to have our meeting rooms at um, at uh, Twyford Avenue in, in a squash court because we, we just our, our facilities were so bad. It was so we all our meetings, everything, every our, our uh, physio room, our meeting room, everything was in this squash court. So in the squash court, front of the squash court, we're all sat uh, watching the video, and he's he's identified this try, and this you know someone's come out of line or whatever and and he's just gone berserk like but it was really bad acting like horrendously bad acting but you could tell that he's he's looked at our faces thinking we don't believe this you know we don't believe that the emotion he's showing is actually real you know so it's like it just looks fake it looks like he's acting so <laughs> so then he's looking at things to make his impression greater on us so he's just like He's just grabbing things and just throwing them like like a kind of Alex Ferguson throwing a hairdryer at Bruno or whoever he threw it. So he's like grabbing water bottles and just throwing them against the wall. And we're all just getting further and further back in the meeting. He's <laughs> just turning over tables. And it's, like, it's just absolute lunacy, but we're like hysterically oh. funny at the same time. But yeah, just 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 madness. He, he used to train every morning in the in the same gym as us. In his in in his underpants, in his wide front, like <laughs> kicking the crap out of a punch bag because he loved boxing. Just yeah, just madness, madness most of the time. I got I got one for you. So you mentioned Sean Edwards was obviously in, in, incredible in, in the in the new the new French team. You mentioned that that young generation of the under 20s that are just lightning good, scared of no one, uh, used to winning, and they're obviously giving us everything but I th correct me if I'm wrong but you arrived in Toulon in 2011 or 2012 2011 yeah yeah 11 so so basically the, the one of the main subjects that we're interested in well that I'm interested because that's the question that I get all the time is that how come France have been underperforming for the last 10 years how come you guys are wasting so much talent and understanding this so I think you were in a privileged position because you know Bernard Laporte which is a extraordinary character you know Mourad Boujelal so you know the president's The most of the the, the, the the typical characteristics of the presidents of top 14 at the moment and 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 you, and you know top 14 obviously so did you get a glance did you agree that because of the structure of french rugby for the last couple of years forget about february 2020 let's go back to the world cup basically and because of the the characteristics of the personality of friends of, of french people in general that you understand because you need to live there you need to, to 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 see them every day to understand that we're not just wired like everybody else 
um, because of the the characteristics of the of the coaches like Bernard Laporte, we're not so good technically, but we're just incredible motivators, incredible managers. We'll just get you fired up because we're playing on emotions all the time. But then you balance that with presidents who are also slightly cuckoo. When you you mentioned about Sean Edwards, but Bujilal is basically you know I think in my mind um, a, a little bit the same in terms of character. Do you agree that there was just the organization was wasting this incredible talent of French rugby into underperforming repeatedly, basically for years and years, which led to this awkward taste in the mouth of where is France going? You know, nobody's shooting in the same direction and we didn't know what was going on. Obviously, that's before February 2020, where you mentioned Fabien Galtier, the under-20s, Sean Edwards, Bernard Laporte being head of federation, which is driving everybody together. Before that, do you agree that it was just, just a, a massive waste? Look, it's, um, I think there's got endless reasons as to why um, that is the case, why France were unperforming. And I've had, you know, loads and loads of conversations with all the guys on those, on those trips, on those snow uh, rugby trips, you know, as to why, you know, why they think it's the case, why I think it's the case. And I put it down to you know a few a few elements, um, and you've touched on a few already. Um, one, the, the 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 talent hasn't been a, been able to um, play enough. So you know all our Johnny foreigners coming over and 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 preventing a lot of the young talent getting getting their time on the pitch is one factor. Um, but you know at the end of the day, that that's you know that's the fault of the the recruiters, the, the the presidents, and the coaches, because you know you're like clearly as a as a as a player, if you get selected by a side to come over and, and play, and you get paid to do that, and you get selected when you're here, what are you going to do? You're not going to say no. <laughs> Select this young guy. So it's not our fault necessarily, but um, certainly that, that's a factor. I, I came over to Toulon, age 38. You know, really, you know. I shouldn't really be playing in a, in a, in a first team at, at a team like Toulon. Shouldn't, it shouldn't happen. There should be guys coming through all the time, knocking knocking older guys off their perch, and that's that's the process that that uh, I think ex- exists in England now, where you you know you can't rest on your laurels. There's there's too many good guys coming through the system, and and that's what France uh, was I think was developing a while ago, but just those guys never got the opportunity to ultimately play. Because of all of us. Um, that said, you know, I looked at, I came, arrived, and I looked at some of the younger guys. Uh, you know, when when you're training, you're like, you're just looking at the, you know, the way they pass the ball, the way they run with the ball, and you're just thinking, this is it's innate talent. You can't, like, you know, I, I spent a lot, like, many many years playing in England, and you're, you see, even Premiership players who've played, been around the block, played a lot. You see them trying to pass the ball, you know. I mean, it sounds like a crazy, crazy thing to say, but you see them trying to pass the ball, and it's 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 either really badly, i.e., technically a poor uh, pass, or it's robotic. It's like being massively coached into this is how you pass the ball, um, and those young French guys. It's, yeah, you just see it's like it's effortless it's it's um it's fluid um it's it doesn't look like they've been coached this is how you pass the ball or anything like that so you see them doing their running lines and and passing the ball and you just think why the how the hell are they not playing 
like these, these guys all look like they've got immense talent. And this is where I come to the other point. It's it's as it's one part to say that coaches and presidents and guys, you know, and agents promote that side of the French top fourteen, which is bringing loads of um, you know ex internationals and stars into the into the league. But the other point is that a lot of these young guys don't push themselves or didn't push themselves sufficiently. You know, it's like I'm playing for I'm training for Toulon. I get the occasional game because of the rotation system. You know, I'm a bit of a hero in my hometown. That's enough for me. And that's, that's you know, a horrible thing to, to acknowledge for them, I think. Well, for me to see. A lot of these young guys, you know, and there's lots that have, that have played for Toulon, played in the, in, you know, the double winning sides and the Heineken Cup winning sides. They're from Toulon, you know, youngsters coming through the game who have now gone on to other clubs. Uh, you know, all the all retired, or just kind of all just given up. And you you're thinking you, you you should have been in the French world. You should have been at least knocking on the door. Or, or you should have had a career, you know, much longer than it has been. And you should have been the number one, not the number two, not not the you know third in line to play for Toulon. You should you should have been saying, I want to play for Toulon. I want to start for Toulon every week. And I want to push for a French place, but they didn't. So there's there's one side I think is 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 the the selection of the uh, foreign guys, but then the other side is the the motivation of a lot of the French players. I just think you you put one little barrier in their way, and it's like oh, you know that's it. That's I've I've got an excuse as to why I didn't go on to better things. You know, and that's, who, did, who did you play with, Shawzi? Who did you play with that you reckon could have gone on and pushed for further honours and been a more dominant? Uh, well, I just uh, I think that, I mean there's, there's there's lots of players that have um, played or that you know they've got to, they've really got to the French squad, I think, and it's it's you know maybe unfair I don't know, but they may have got to the French squad because they played in a fantastic Toulon side, yeah. so they featured every now and then. So Chocky, uh, Virgil Bruni. Uh, Orioli, um, Max Marmos, Derek he was there Inter, too. Right? You know, these all these guys were on, were on the verge, but it was really more because they, you know, occasionally turned up and played for. for but, you know, when they played, they played well, but they, they weren't consistently saying, "No, I want that shirt." You know, there's there's the, the Toulon side, albeit a fantastic, undeniably, you know, one of the greatest club sides they'll ever have played. Still, it's full of like, lots of, you know, thirty mid thirties somethings. <laughs> That's and I and I, I joked one day when when Bacchus and I were were doing a, a fitness drill. Like it was down and up, like my worst, literally my worst thing in the world. You, like I literally couldn't think of anything worse to do than a down and up. So it was down and ups, and you you running lengths of the pitch or you know. Touchline to 22, really, you know, doing that. And and back in scenario out in front, you're, the, you're thinking, this should not be, <laughs> this shouldn't be happening. This should not be happening. A 38-year-old and a 30, I don't know how old he was, 35 probably, shouldn't be happening against these 20-year-olds. It's crazy. But they, that said, it, it that period lifted everyone's standards up. Johnny, you know, inevitably lifted anyone that was playing in his position around him. 
because he went out and trained longer. They trained longer. Uh, Andrew Sheridan, because he was pushing tin more than anyone ever had ever seen in a gym. All the props then went shit, you know, I, in, in order for me to kind of be anywhere near this guy, I've got to do more. But as soon as they, those guys all left, boom, dropped again. You're like, it's just, so it's that, it's that motivation factor that, uh, that uh, I think lacks, you know, there's a bit of lacking in, uh, but I think, you know, in all sports, um, particularly something like rugby, it needs its heroes. And it, you know, I think in, this French team could create some real heroes for generations of the future. And they'll look up to those guys. And if they show evidence of the fact that they're true professionals that only got to where they got to because of, you know, sheer determination and hard work and all the things that you you'd normally expect from a international player, then, you know, these guys of the, you know, the future, the younger guys that are now coming through the system should be able to look up to these guys and go, yeah, that's, that's what I want to do. And I know that's what it takes. And I'm willing to do that. And you, you mentioned the influx of foreign players like yourself into the top 14 is a bit of a negative over the past 10 years, something that could have could have held certain players back or, or the French national team back. But in terms of that mentality side of things, do you think actually those foreign players coming in, like Johnny, you mentioned there, but also particularly more foreign coaches and assistant coaches, will that have had a positive effect now on this generation? I, I, think, I think ultimately, yeah, it, it would all have had a positive uh, impact, without a doubt. Um, but it has to be, um, in order for it to continue, it has to be, the French have to be creating their own equivalents of a Magitta or a Johnny Wilkinson. Or, you know, even on the coaching side, they have to, you know, I, I think one of the slight, um, you know, there's a balance, right? In, in the UK, I think we go probably far too far down one line and, and, and in France, uh, the, the kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. So with, with coaches, I think coaches get promoted far too easily in France. You know, if you're a decent, you know, if you're a, a kind of iconic player, you can go up the ranks pretty quickly without really any evidencing that you're any good at coaching, which, are, which I don't think is a positive thing. I think you need to kind of earn your stripes. Um, in the UK, there's not enough promotion of coaches as in, the game doesn't say, you know, come and coach. Like, we'll give you an opportunity. You have to work really hard for that. And it, it gets rid of a lot of potential coaches. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think inevitably that the inclusion of, of foreign players and foreign coaches will lift it, but it, it needs to find its own footing. I think it started to do that, you know. Um, is it Hubert Albin? I always get his surname. Albin Hubert. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> the first day mixed up because you guys put it all the wrong way around, like when you write on the documents. Uh, <laughs> but you know, he's he's had that kind of real professional mentality for for, for a long time, and he's you know former Toulon coach and, and coached the under twenties for a few years and during their successes. So uh, you know, there's there's guys like that that have earned their stripes, really, you know, kind of been there at the cult face for a number of years and, and deserve opportunities. Let's talk about your time at Toulon now. You mentioned me if they're at the age of 38. So just 
we, we know how successful you were with England, with the Lions, at Wasps. But how did that move come about at the age of 38? Did you did you have to go and meet Murad? Did he woo you? Like, how did the yeah, move come about? Yeah, it was funny. It was, um, I, was all, I was a little bit all over the shop at, at, in 2011 because I, I made the World Cup squad um, to, to New Zealand and it was a bit of a miserable tournament for us. Um, you know, dwarf throwing and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I'd... I'd been at Wasp for 15 years and I wasn't entirely sure that I should still be there. So I'd sort of written a, uh, or agreed to terms of agreement. I hadn't written, I hadn't signed a, a contract with them because uh, just, I wasn't sure. Uh, I was 38. I, was, I wasn't sure whether I'd get to the end of the world cup and go, Do you know, what? I just, I just don't want to play anymore. I, don't, I didn't know what, how I felt about the whole thing. So I thought, well, I'll just go to the world cup. I'll have a break in between, you know, whilst, whilst on my way home and, and just with my family and just have a think about it. Um, and then I played a couple of games in the World Cup, obviously Courtney Laws and uh, I forget who was the other second, but there were guys coming through and I just thought, well, this, you know, it's the end for me internationally. This, that, that's it. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I got, but I played a couple of games and I played a couple of games against, yeah, Georgia and uh, I think the other side, maybe uh, maybe Argentina, but but some tough kind of upfront battles, um, and I played really well. And so I, so then the phone started ringing from French clubs, uh, who obviously you know weren't aware that I I signed a terms of agreement with Was. So I just thought, Jesus, you know that that could be. You know, I didn't. I didn't want to play Super Rugby. It was far too fast. I didn't want to play in Japan because you know, uh, living with four kids um, in a tiny little paper house didn't appeal. <laughs> um, I just, I just thought, I'd, and I'd always loved, loved. My favourite, favourite time of the year was was Heineken Cup. You know, times playing against the French clubs away, just couldn't wait for those fixtures, loved, loved the atmosphere. And I just thought, well, you, know, you know, give yourself a kind of a gift at the end of your career, go and do something you want to, because I've always been, you know, very, very loyal to the clubs I've played. I've only played for Bristol and Moss and, you know, I left Bristol only because they didn't really embrace um, the whole professional thing and, and subsequently, you know, went bankrupt. But I wouldn't have left there had it not been for that. And, and then I stayed at Wasp for 15 years. So I was always like a, you know, always gave up more for the club than for myself. Um, so I just thought, you know, this is the one time I couldn't make a decision for me. Uh, and I got, as I say, various offers from French clubs. Um, and I, the, I knew the moment I got back to Wasp and sat in the, the, the meeting room for the first uh, first meeting obviously those guys had already started the league and I looked around and I've been there for 15 years and I didn't recognise anyone I was like this is crazy like I feel like the new kid on the block I don't know anyone I, and the coaching staff had all changed as well so I didn't know the coaches and I was like wow uh, I'm basically joining a new club without having moved and without you know changing my experience as it were I'll still be playing at the same stadium albeit they moved to Coventry but um so I just thought, and that's when I knew this is I couldn't do this. I, I needed I needed to move. So I went into and I spoke to everyone, you know, all the various levels of the club that I needed to speak to, and said, like, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not going to train today. I'm not going to 
I need to leave. This this needs to happen now. This you're you're going to carve out a new future uh, ahead of you as a club, and it's going to be without me because I've you know I think I've I've done my stint. So they said, okay, fine. It's um, you know obviously it's it's upsetting for us, but we understand and we're not going to stand in your way. Uh, and then I then went, oh okay, that's very understanding of you. I went away and spoke to my wife and kids and said, look. I think we're going to move to France. Uh, don't know where yet, so I'll, I'm going to have a look around. Then I spoke to uh, an agent over here who's, who, who basically put the calls in for all the clubs, and, and he said, "Okay, well, why don't we start? You know, your journey. Have a look around some of the clubs. Uh, where should we start first? And I said, uh, and it was sort of when, when was it? It would have been uh, what, late November or something like that. I guess the end of the World Cup, 2011. Um, so I said, well, let's start with Toulon. So, and it wasn't, I mean, they, they'd signed some people and Johnny was there, but it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like this big, big deal that it obviously became. Um, so I went down there and uh, saw the training ground, not that flashy, uh, went to the beach area, like this a lot. Um, went to the RCT cafe to have lunch with Bernard and um, Murad and with my wife and uh, and so they chatted away and we had a bit of a conversation about you know what would happen next if if I were to decide to come blah 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 and then Murad just stood up and walked off <laughs> and I was like that's a bit fucking rude <laughs> and I and my wife just looked at me, what's all that about? I said, I've no idea. I'm not sure if that's positive or negative, or whatever. And then Bernard said, look, do you want to come to the game? I said, oh, no, I shouldn't really. And it was, it was literally in an hour's time. So I think that's why Murad wanted to adopt his position in the dugout, or whatever. So, uh, so I said, I really shouldn't, you know, because I don't want it to be known that I might sign here or I might sign there. It just, just doesn't feel right. And he said, oh, come on, I think, you know, from, do it as a favour of me because I'd really like to you just see the atmosphere. Have you ever, like, because I'd never played at Toulon at that point. I'd never, you know, they'd never come up in, in European competition. Stuff. So, so I said, all right, okay, but I don't want to make a song and dance of it, clearly. And he goes, no, 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 no problem at all. So, so, so I get into the stand and then my wife nudges me like, not the kick-up hasn't even started, <laughs> and I'm on the big screen, <laughs> like a full headshot of me, and I'm like, oh, you're kidding me. Got into the taxi, went back to the airport, came home, and then it was all over the press. Simon Shaw signed for Toulon, I hadn't. And I was like, oh, that's just, you know, it's crazy. And I was sort of looking at visiting other clubs, but then then the club, then Wasp came out and said, look, what's going on? You, Apparently, you've already signed for Toulon. I was like, no, 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 I haven't. <laughs> I haven't. I went to visit. That was my first club I went to visit. You know, I promise you won't not sign for any um, English club. And I, I said I hadn't signed for anyone else. So I meant that. Anyway, and, and in the end, you know, we'd, we'd had such a warm experience, of not just what happened on the pitch, but the, the whole atmosphere of the town. It wasn't, um, you know... It wasn't like the rest of the kind of Cote d'Azur. It felt like, you know, uh, a real down-to-earth 
city, good people, and it just that was it. It clicked, and and uh, you know, I, I went. I think I flew out a kind of week later. And that was it. That's an unreal story. Do you know they pulled the same trick on Johnny Wilkinson? Oh, they, they do it every time. <laughs> you don't remember? You don't remember that thing where he tried to hide Johnny Wilkinson, Johnny Wilkinson with a cap trying to yeah. hide in the stand of Stade Mayol and stuff. There was people clapping him in, journalists yeah, exactly. taking pictures. And at the end, he was caught, you know, hand in the cookie jar. That was, that was it. So they pulled the same trick on you, but it works. You have to say yeah. that stadium is special. The atmosphere is The worst special. thing is, on that particular day, I was wearing a bright pink shirt. <laughs> <laughs> The most inconspicuous man in the stadium. <laughs> Did it get better with Murad as well? He walked out of that meeting. Did your relationship flourish after yeah, I, that? I didn't. I, I didn't have too many. I didn't have. It, I didn't have any issues with him really. I. I uh, again, look. I. I don't. I don't see someone and just accept that they're the way they are because they're just, you know, that way. There's there's reasons why everyone's the way they are. Uh, I, I admired his passion, you know, uh, you got to admire that, you know, I, he ruffles feathers, um, clearly everywhere. Um, that's just the kind of guy he is, uh, but I don't, you know, I didn't have any issues. With that. I, I find, I found him amusing more than irritating or annoying. He, um, he's, you know, there's some, there's some sort of classic, um, things that he's done over the time when we, when we won the, Heineken away in uh, Dublin. Uh, he promised the. Uh, so he said. He said to the Toulon faithful that he, he wouldn't. Whatever happens, you know, whilst the Heineken Cup final is important, the, the Brennus is more important to us as a club because we've not won it for thirty odd years, whatever it was. So whatever happens in Dublin, we're not coming back. We're not going to bring the cup back because. Um, we've got a really important semi-final in Nantes, I think it was. Or... So, whatever happens, we're going to fly from Dublin to Nantes, play that game, and once we've been victorious in the semi-final of that game, then we can come back, bring the cup back and celebrate. So, um, he is obviously, we won in Dublin. Um, he, he then announced that a U-turn. He said, look, no, I, can't, I cannot sit here and, and, and allow us to to sort of revel in our glory here without sharing it with the Toulon faithful. All, all amazing marketing speak. You know, you can see the Toulon faithful at, back in Toulon just going, he's got to bring the cup back. He's got, you know, getting all excited about it. And he goes, oh, do you know what? I've changed my mind. I'm going to bring the cup back to you. We're, we're going to bring the cup back to you. So what actually happened was he was going to bring the cup back to <laughs> But they <laughs> thought the team was bringing back to the, the cup to So he landed at Yer Airport in basically a, a plane on his own <laughs> with the cup. And I don't know how many people turned up to the airport. I mean, thousands and thousands of, of Toulon um, supporters turned up to the stadium to, to see Murad come out of the, the plane with the cup. <laughs> and they're all going, but where's Johnny? Where, where's that <laughs> Oh, they're in Nantes. So, yeah, he's, I mean, but just... Again, a bit, a bit of a nutcase. That is a bit of a cultural difference with, with French owners in general. And obviously, Morad is an extreme example. But that kind of thing where he arrives back with the, the trophy on his own or he's in, the game, he's in the dressing room after games celebrating and kind of leading the charge or worse if you lose, yeah. handing out bollockings. Does that not... I mean, it must annoy a lot of players. Not, not necessarily you, but like it, it must get on players' nerves, that, surely. Yeah, I, I mean, 
we I think we were all old enough and ugly enough to to laugh it off most of the time. You know, it it, it was yeah, as I say, it was more of an amusement for my you know the the kind of uh, expatriate community that played at Toulon at that time. It was um, even the you know the the song in the changing room afterwards, um, the Pilu Pilu. You know, normally you know it was for a while it was a player, normally Jean Charles Orioli, someone from Toulon, someone that kind of can evoke that passion and stuff for the song, and we'd all sing it and bang on the, the lockers and stuff. And it was brilliant. And then, <laughs> and then Murad decided that he was he was the only one that could sing it. So and you were just like, oh no, <laughs> surely not. And uh, he'd come in and sort of, and everyone would sort of be just. <laughs> you know, sort of not quite getting into it as much as we used to, and he'd be sort of doing a sort of camp clap. Um, so we we just laughed it off most of the time. And so, so Murad obviously worked, and Bernard Laporte they were in tandem. So, uh, give us your view on Bernard because obviously he is in in a senior position now at the, the FFI. He's a, a politician almost, but at that time as a coach. Did he do much coaching? Was he more of a, a sort of manager and he let, let you players do your no, own thing? He, he did everything. I mean, <laughs> I mean, in terms of I mean, what you'd normally get in, in the UK with a kind of that style, uh, that sort of uh, seniority, you'd get uh, more of a director of rugby who would probably you know kind of give the the general theme of how things were going to work and then and leave it uh, a bit more up to the coaches a kind of football managerial style in the uk um so you'd have uh, most of the talking in a meeting for example would be done by the individual coaches you go through each kind of department defense this this guy's in charge he does his bit attack he does his bit forwards he does you know go through that whereas, whereas uh, aside from side meetings, you know, with the pack or with the backs, which um, Pierre Mignoni would take or Olivier Zan would take, Bernard did everything. So literally every morning we'd sit down to a <laughs> an extra. I mean, he's a wordsmith, an extraordinary wordsmith. He, he'd stand up. I don't. I God knows how he did it. He'd stand up and for. 45 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half, he would just seamlessly not stop talking, which for most of us was like an amazing, like a huge challenge for our capabilities to, to, to understand a foreign language. Because <laughs> he's not only speaking, and you could tell it was eloquent, even though you didn't know all the words, but he speaks 100 miles an hour, and he's like really, really expressive with his, with his talk you know, arms, legs, everything into it. Um, and you'd have Tom Whitford, who was the team manager at the time, who who would basically translate for those that, that didn't have that capability of French. So he'd bang on for like, you know, it seemed like hours, all very, very passionate. And then and he'd, he'd be articulating and saying, you know, lots of horrible things in French about certain players and what they'd done in a match. And, and then at the end, Tom would... You see Tom completely. I mean, he speaks incredible French. And he's, you know, very certainly bilingual. But he's just kind of going, <laughs> "You've lost me completely." Uh, yeah, it was a poor pass um, at the end. <laughs> <laughs> just to condense it to two sentences. But no, it, look, I, I, I have to say, I loved working under Bernard. 
again, his passion like was extraordinary. Um, again, it doesn't I don't I wouldn't say that that technical coaching was was there at all. But I don't you know in certain circumstances, do you need it? You know, with the with the kind of guys with the kind of experience that that all the guys had. You know, Carl Haymans, Bucky's Boaters, John Schmitz, Johnny Wilkinson's, Matt Gittos. It's an extreme situation which didn't really require a lot of, you know, what are you going to, are you really going to tell someone how to tackle at that stage in their career or rock at that stage in their career? Yeah, little changes in the rules you, you kind of advise on, but what are you, what are you, what are you going to do with a group like that? You just, you, you kind of give them some parameters and, and let them go. You didn't need a skills coach. You didn't need a fantastic tax lawyer, probably. That's about it. <laughs> Not me. Not me. Don't want to talk about. <laughs> but no, I, I, what, what, what I was so grateful for is we didn't do contact for two years. So <laughs> I was happy with Larry. And so, mate, how did it work? You said simple parameters and there wasn't much technical stuff. But in terms of what you actually did on the field, like it was amazing. And I mean, yes, you had phenomenal individuals, but in terms of stringing it all together, who came up with like your attack templates? Who was in charge of that? Like did well, Johnny and Git sit look, down and, and build things with Morad or how did it work? No, I think, I think, um, I think you know, Pierre Mignone went away with the backs and, and I think most of the backs, you know, really uh, respected Pierre as a coach. Um, again, totally devoted to his coaching like insanely so and get would get so wrapped up in in any you know errors or or you know performances that would would you know less than, than faultless so he he would um yeah and he's obviously gone on to, to be successful at, at leon um so he's he's one for the future certainly with with, with the national team i think um but I think, it, you know, a lot of a lot of it was driven by by Matt Ditto. I think um, a, lot, a lot of people ask me who the best player they played with or against, and I, he's he's one of those guys that just stands out for many many reasons. But I think his 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 knowledge and understanding of of the game and how to break down defenses and just uh, he, he could. You could bring so many other people into that play without them even having to recognise what was in front of them, because because he's kind of the, the the guy pulling all the strings. So everyone looks at Johnny, Johnny, extraordinary professional, amazing uh, abilities, but Johnny's always performed at his utmost, very best when he's got a centre outside him calling the shots. Because Johnny, you, you, you ask him to do something. I, I want the part. I want a twenty meter pass on this six shilling piece. He'll get it there each and every time. But he needs to know that's what comes next. And, and Gitz always had the right kind of decision making process to, to enable Johnny just to effortlessly go. Sorry, you wanted what? Yeah, absolutely. There you go, and deliver it. And then Gitz would then you know pass on. What was going to happen next to a Basta or, or whoever, or Marnonu, whoever's outside him, who need that as well. So I think most of most of what was good about Toulon um, in terms of attacking was was through Gits, and obviously you've got people like Tuisova on the wing, you're just giving the ball and <laughs> get yeah. to run. 
You mentioned Johnny and, and Matt Gitto kind of leading on the field. Johnny's obviously regarded as a, a god or a king in, in Toulon. But I'm, just, I'm interested off the field, that that kind of culture, you all bonded together from the outside, it seemed very, very well. We had we had Stefan Armitage on a while back and he was talking about the the Tuesday club or whatever. So there obviously was a good a good culture off the field. Who who was leading that charge? Who who were the main guys off the field? Um well, it's like the, the, that. Toulon, that side of Toulon's been a bit checkered because um, you know I think there was a period when it went a bit over the top. Um, just be, I think just before my arrival, it, the, the, there were sort of stories, you know, where it got because you, you're, you're you, you know your your neighbours to to the playground of the rich and famous is just you know just around the corner, Saint Tropez and Monaco and places like that. It's, um, and I think it, it probably gone to a little bit. Too much of an extreme before, um, but it was still very social. I think more, but in much more of a because a lot of the players that arrived um, and were playing at that time had, you know, matured and and sort of, as I said, got to that stage where they're you know mid mid thirties with family. So it became much more of a kind of expat barbecue culture. You know, I mean. My my wife became sort of mother hen because she was <laughs> the oldest. Mother goose, you might be saying that, but, <laughs> but she she would organise, you know, barbecue after barbecue. I mean, I, I always kind of scratched my head about it because I was thinking, I was looking around thinking, I'm probably the the least highly paid player here, and yet I seem to be hosting all the barbecues. Like, what <laughs> what the hell's going on? Um, but it was it was just it's just a lot of fun. It was like it was like. You know, when you weren't playing rugby, it was like being an expat living, you know, in, in the south of France, which we were. I mean, I'm staying in the office, but but not. You didn't feel like uh, an ultra professional like you do in the UK. It was a much much more relaxed feel about it. You know, you could. We in the summer we trained, you know, in the evenings and early mornings. You'd have a huge chunk of the day where you. You didn't have anything to do, so you'd rock up to a beach and, and go paddleboarding, and and then go, oh, well, should we rock around someone's house and have a barbecue after this? And you'd do it, and it was like it was it was fantastic. And as you say, there was there were occasions where we just rock up to someone's house and you know have a barbecue and a few beers, and it, it wasn't. I think the thing in France is as long as you're performing, kind of anything goes, right? It, it that's the sense I get. Uh, whereas again, as, as I say, I think UK sometimes goes far too far the other way. Whereas you know, don't touch a beer all, all week, otherwise you'll be you know on the naughty step. It, it, so there's there's I, I think there's good balance, or there was at least then, of, of you know the social interaction with the with the professionalism. And you mentioned him. You obviously played with Johnny for England, and you played with Johnny in in Toulon. That lifestyle difference and cultural difference that you talk about was there a massive noticeable difference in what he was like when you were with him with England and then at, at Toulon was he a different um, guy I wouldn't say huge and I, I wouldn't say you'd see a huge difference even now I think he still kicks for two three hours a day now so I, <laughs> no Johnny yeah I, I get on with Johnny really really well we, we you know we have the occasional um dinner out and whatnot with, um his missus and my missus going really well. Um, I just noticed around, I guess around game time and, and after games, uh, a more a more relaxed Johnny. I think 
the, the best way I can des describe it, or the, at least, you know, I'm, I, you'd have to ask him yourself, but the way I sort of looked at it, um, if I was to put myself in Johnny's situation, if, if he's in the UK and, and playing, whether it's for England or for Newcastle or whoever, um, there's a, you know, I experience, we all experience it in the UK. You, you play a game, you're in a clubhouse or a bar or whatever, and, and and supporters quite rightly come up to you and ask for a signature or a photo or or, or at least a chat and and they want to know you know why this happened in the game why did you do that particularly what and it ends up and it can end up in to a full blown conversation that you find it quite you know unless you're that kind of person you find it quite difficult to get out of and in the UK it happens a lot like because you know the English public feel like that's their right, and and I think it is their right. Um, in France, it's a very very different attitude from supporters. So supporters will generally, and they're you know incredibly politely most of the time, go, oh you know it's an honour to meet you, Johnny, Simon, whoever. Uh, please may I have a photo or or a signature. Thank you very much, and they and they walk away. Now, if you're Johnny, you know, if you're Sir Johnny and you're in England, Christ knows how he ever got away from the, from a game because he'd have been badgered and pestered and badgered and pestered. And I just think that, you know, he knew a post-game in Toulon, okay, I'll probably have to do 100 signatures by the time I get to my car. But no one will, no one will ever kind of go beyond that. They'll, they won't encroach on my time unnecessarily beyond that. And I can cope with that. Because what most people don't know about Johnny, he's, he's like the most giving person you ever meet. So if you, the problem with Johnny is if you ask Johnny something and he says yes, he's not just going to give you what you asked for. It's so he's not just going to go out and give you he's going to go out for four hours. Um, if you ask him to, you know, pitch up to coach some kids he'll be out there for four hours with those kids <laughs> you know he's not going to just do a token and so with anything with him like if someone asked him a question he inevitably give them the full answer not just this <laughs> condensed one so um yeah he was definitely more relaxed uh, in around games but in terms of lifestyle um i'm, I'm not sure as again I, I think he kept himself to himself again, again a, a lot of the time but you know we saw him Saw him on occasions at the barbecues, drinking orange juice. <laughs> <laughs> and made that lifestyle, like obviously you signed that last contract, it was 38, it was a two-year contract, but you've since then taken the decision to stay in Toulon. That's where your, your full-time residents are, that's where, it's where your kids are. Like your four kids are all now grown up speaking French. And it's quite rare for a Brit or for a foreigner to arrive and do two seasons in France and then decide to stay. So what were, aside from the barbecues and the beach, what did you decide as a family? What were the main reasons besides deciding to stay where you were in Toulon? I think a lot of it is to do with my, my background in general. I've, I was, for the first 15 years of my life, an expat. So, you know, I, I lived in Kenya for 10 years, born in, born in Kenya, moved from Kenya pretty much directly to Spain, albeit I had six months in the UK, didn't really like it. It was freezing cold, worst, worst winter on record. So got the hell out of there. Um, and we moved to Spain, I lived there for, five years um, 
know, went to the New Zealand 17 for a scene. Just, I, I, I like, I love experiencing um, other cultures and, and, and when a culture fits my mentality, I, you know, I've got, you've got buy-in. I mean, like, I, I love the UK as well, don't get me wrong. But I couple it now with France. So I, I generally spend three or four days in the UK and three or four days in France, obviously with lockdown. No, that's happening, but uh, I miss elements of the UK. But you know, after two or three days in the UK, I go, Christ, get me back to Toulon. Uh, and then after three or four days here, I go, you know, I could feel I feel like I'm sort of becoming a bit lethargic and sleepy, and I need to get back to you know busy London. So, uh, but in terms of why I stay here, the weather. Look, I've got lots of. Um, you guys will probably have as well. Um, and in, in, in the two seasons I played for Toulon, I, I literally didn't feel them. Like, probably to do with the fact that I didn't do long to tap, but in addition to which, I just think that the, the, the mild climate helps. You know, I've got, I, I've got a really severe, uh, I sustained a really severe ankle injury when I was, Sort of 1920, which has still got metal work in it, and, and whenever I land in the UK, it's like unbearably sore. You know, whenever I come back here, don't feel it. And and so part of it's the weather, the climate. The wine probably helps with the ankle, mate. A bit of rosé, a bit of sunshine, you'll be fine. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and just before we let you go, Simon, you obviously went on three. Lions tours and um, everyone's talking about the the tour to South Africa in the summer. A couple of yours were to, to South Africa, so you're the perfect guy to ask. Everyone's talking Maro Toji up as a as a potential Lions captain. I think you've got an interesting call as well that you want to throw in the mix as a Lions captain. I read somewhere, but do you think the Lions are going to win this summer? And um, he would be your tour captain. The shortest tour, I think, on record, uh, which has. Benefits and, and negatives. Clearly, the benefit is you, you don't go into the test matches as weary as you perhaps would if you've got nine or ten games. But you know, gelling a side together as, as quickly as that to play the world champions is, is is a tough, tough ask. Do I think they can do it? They they can certainly do it. I think the talent at the moment in the Northern Hemisphere is is, is super, super good. Um, but that is an incredibly tough tour. You know, I think the, the, the physicality of the South Africans makes it so much so. And, and, and I think in terms of who, who ends up playing the test matches can often be determined by, you know, the, the list of injuries. The, the, the second test in, in uh, South Africa that in 2009, you know, the devastation of that, you know, in just one test match, losing so many players uh, showed how much of a, toll that the, the toll took on a lot of bodies and um, you know it's very rare in a, in a season after uh, a Lions tour that there are many fit 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 guys back up and playing and um, but in terms of captains um, yeah I, I'm not sure about Otoji I'm not sure that Otoji should be captain I think he's a phenomenal athlete uh, phenomenal player um, he's back nearing his best I think he had a bit of a quiet period for a while, which is inevitable when you come onto the international scene. But I think he's best left doing what he, what he does, uh, not clouding his his mind too much with other stuff. I I don't know where you heard that 
<laughs> it's probably a, maybe it was a wrong article. I, re- I read somewhere that he'd thrown Jamie George's hat into the ring. Oh, I did. Yeah, I did. I don't know what that was in. What was that in? Uh, no, I just think he, he looks like a, a really, really level-headed guy who seems to be able to sort of keep his mind cool. Uh, you know, I think hookers um, like 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 tens or kickers. You know, they they've got a responsibility way above and beyond everyone else in in the team because they you know for moments in time they've got to be incredibly precise with their, their skill set and they they have to have that ability to detach themselves from what might have just happened <laughs> I, I played with you know trevor leota for for many years who never be never could detach himself from what had just happened so he probably just maimed someone or got into a scrap and inevitably came to the line out and, and threw the, the balls at my knees um, so, so I look at certain hookers and just think, you know, they've they've got that ability to clear their mind, become very focused on what's important at that point. And I think he just looks like one of those guys. I couldn't agree more with what you said about hookers, to be honest. And and all your praises feel very good. <laughs> one quick question: Who do you think? Who do you think in um, in the French squad could have made the Lions if one day you guys decide to invite them? So. Stuff, stuff the backs. Enough has been said about Dupont, who's just flying. Uh, Entamag, Vakatawa, Gail Fiku, fine. In the Fords, to go to South Africa, because you need to front up, you need to be seriously good. Do you think, I don't know, Olivon, Aldrit, Bernard Leroux, Camille What do you think? Yeah, Shah, definitely. Um, Olivon, my only issue with Olivon is that he's injury prone. And it would be getting him through the tour, you know, <laughs> from from start to finish. Clearly, you've got to play some of those games, and 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 it's brutal because in South Africa, I think more than more than Australia and New Zealand, there's a there's a determination of the the sides that you play leading up to the Test match to really physically hurt you. Like they almost want, you know, they're trying to do everything they possibly can so that you arrive at a Test match finally, but you're, you know. You're strapped from from ankle to to neck, so yeah, I'm not sure he would he would last the tour because he is he is fairly injury prone. But uh, you know, I don't want to put the voodoo dolls on him. I I, I think he's playing for Toulon this weekend. <laughs> so. Well, thanks so much for giving us your insight, Simon. It's been great to have you on. Um, and we can I think we can hear a couple of geese in the background. So thankfully, you're fully clothed <laughs> this time. But I think they oh, may yeah, need your attention. Seagulls, the seagulls. You wait. Wait to hear. I could leave now and you'll hear them. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Simon. Great to have you on. Thanks very much, mate. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I thought it was actually awesome to get, he mentioned some really smart things that I never thought those Toulon players actually uh, felt and understood. They really felt that they were stealing and they, it should have not been like that. They were not stealing, but being in the way of French talent coming through and stuff. But it's really, really fair comment to say that they were not driving hard enough and they, were, they didn't have that hunger to get them out of there. And especially, it's funny that he, he mentioned it because it's something that I felt for a long time, but nobody really spoke about. Toulon were dominating every night. Every time we start naming the guys, it just freaks me out to see how how packed with world stars they were. I mean, you know, when he starts saying Matt Gitto was next to Johnny Wilkinson, was next to Manonu or Bastaro, and then Drew Mitchell and Brian Abana. It's just, it's freakish. Back he's both a Simon Shaw in the second row, right? <laughs> it's, like, it's just like two man mountains ready to eat you alive, you know, in the row of 38, but 150 caps international caps together behind Carl Heyman and Andrew Sheridan. Okay. Incredible. But, um, but it's, it's really true that he, he, he really, every time there was a French guy who would just play in that Toulon squad, it's basically the world 15. And so the French were like, hang on, who is this guy with the French flag on him who possibly play for Toulon? Pick him. Forget about Bastaro. He was already very, very good. But I remember there was a number nine to use ball. There was Chucky de Lucid. There was Virgil Bruni, uh, a back row. There was a young center who then played for Montpellier called Arthur Vincent. Nobody has ever even heard of him, but he just started playing for Toulon and they picked him. And it's really funny that he, 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 he saw it because it, it was, it's spot on. I mean, it's really what was going on. Also, I liked his insight about the president and that they were able to, like for me, it would infuriate me, um, but they were all old enough and wise enough with Bougelal just to say, let him do his thing, his party piece. It doesn't matter. Uh, we're bigger than us. Let's not get annoyed and you wait for him to finish and then we can just get on with whatever we need to do. Because um, I always thought it'd be a real sticking point in that changing room. Like that guy would get in the way and muck things up, but they were consistent. They seemed, you know, they got results, titles. They were phenomenal, a great bunch of players, but mentally they were able to park the nonsense that we see from the outside and just get on with their job. But that was really cool too. Great to have Simon on. And we did chat a bit about France Scotland earlier on, but I just want to bring it up again. Um, because I don't mean to sound surprised, but Benji, you said last week it was going to be 2015. Pretty much bang on. I don't even, I didn't remember that I said that exactly, but yeah. Mate, I've, I've, I, I know my shit. Just be I surprised Just be myself. Humble. You're I not making this shit up. <laughs> I surprised myself from time to time, but I, I, I actually know my shit. What did you make of the actual game? I know you said like you, you talked briefly about Hoggy's post-match comments after he knocked the ball dead on the full-time wish which wasn't a great way to finish the game but what did you actually think of the game I know maybe Rose tinted from him but um what did you make of it generally I, I didn't think it was an extraordinary game to be honest no. on, on both sides it wasn't extraordinary quality it wasn't uh it was a slightly slightly weakened uh French side but it was also a slightly slightly weakened Scottish side uh, clearly he didn't have the electricity Duncan where is solid, he's reliable, he gives us 150%, but Finn Russell does, just brings the X factor that you know can create stuff that they thoroughly needed. Um, I thought France, uh, Jalibert did an okay job, but it's not Romain Tanak uh, that, that, that we're used to uh, having at, at the moment. You know, they were just, just missing a tiny bit of a sparkle, something. So it was a bit of a silly game where 
uh, France were, I thought, were, the statistics did not show this. They were going against a little bit against me, but France were dominating relatively uh, the play. And then by just conceding silly, silly freaking penalties and being really poor in, def- in, in discipline, then Scotland were just coming back and scoring three points. Basically, France were about to score. Going back to the penalty, putting three points, about to score, kicking a drop goal, but long, dominant phases, you know, they were there. And then Scotland would just get back into their, into their side. And in two, three phases, concede a stupid penalty, kick three points. You're like, ah. and in the end, I think it was, it was they drew at halftime, right? It was 12 12 or 15 15, I can't remember. And, um, and, and, and we thought, oh, bloody hell, this is, it's not reflecting you know, the reality of the game. So I thought if France would lose this one, they will be livid. They will be gutted. Uh, and just one play behind the scrum ended up, one brilliantly played uh, uh, behind the scrum ended up um, them winning the game, which is a funny thing because I was with Rory Lawson doing the commentary and he got it spot on saying, he told me actually before the game, it would be great to see Antoine Dupont yeah, create stuff because he's just incredible, but also he's going to get so much... Um, attraction so much um emphasis put on him during the weeks don't let him go don't let him go don't let you'll see he's going to create space for other people and that's precisely what happened on that scrum move i don't know if you remember but it's basically at eight nine ten and uh, 12 sorry to gail fico and gail fico instead of giving it back to antoine dupont which is running that circle line going back you know to then go outside gives it inside to the winger to uh, to rates and it's it's spot on because you see Price, the Scottish nine, is basically chasing Antoine Dupont almost like a one-on-one defense, and he's just creating that gap. And then that's when they went through Vakatawa that ends up scoring. So it's it's brilliant to see that that's that's the next step of France. They need the confidence, need to keep on going up. They need all those players to develop and to be really lethally good. But then if Antoine Dupont can not only be very good at what he does, the X Factor style, but he can create some some um positive space for his his teammates that's even better so i was chuffed about the results the game was not extraordinary uh in terms of quality and it just shocked me that Stuart Hogg, like you said that 79th minute he's got to kick to touch to go for penalty he misses the kick shit happens obviously he he tried to get a five meter line out for his team it was a little bit greedy but it's, it's just it, technically it's not easy to do um and then in the post my interview he looked furious which he was obviously allowed to be but then he's like I just didn't think, I thought he, he he had, you know, he had glasses on or whatever, but poor glasses because he was going, <laughs> no, we dominated for 78 minutes and we we, we uh, denied France the, the, their attacking ability. I was like, my he guys didn't do much and you got beaten by better. That's it. I think as well, especially through his eyes, playing the game at fullback, he won't see some of the little areas where France were more dominant. Like I thought they're... Their mall was dominant. They got some good go forward. I thought the forwards did really. They won forwards. every collision. Exactly. So, so scrum and mall, they dominated. They went forward every time, pretty much free kicks, yeah. penalties. Um, so physically, they were much better up front. Hoggy, obviously, sitting in the backfield, doesn't really see that. Um, I think maybe you think about yes, they shut that. Like you didn't see any of Dupont. You didn't see any of Vakatawa. It wasn't you know broken game offloads defensively. Maybe he meant you know we shut them down in that respect. But, you know, you, you touched on it, like Jalibert, quiet game. You know, it was pouring, like horrible conditions. It was all about kick chase, pressure, defense, uh, and winning ugly. And and you know what? The difference in the end, they won ugly. It's the first time they won at Murrayfield since 2014. So a great mental step again. But the difference was that one starter play. As much as I thought they were dominant in all the little facets of the game, that one starter play, they'd obviously seen, like, that's a Fabian Galtier special. 
Um, they've seen Ali Price overchase when he comes off scrum. Boom, there's your inside hold. There's your, that's Fabian's level of detail. It's predetermined, it's pre-called, and it came off. And that was the difference in, in, in between, the, between the two teams. So great statement for, for France to get that first win a long, long time. Um, but they were, I felt they were dominant um, in quite a few different parts of the game. So great result for them. And looking at the Italy game, we're going to see an almost entirely different France team. We've spoken about him before. One guy you're particularly both looking forward to seeing in that side is Makalu. Yeah. Anyone else that you're kind of picking out? And what, what are we expecting from this French side who obviously are, are very fresh and haven't played together before? This weekend is our weekend, myself and Johnny's, because... I told, I told the, the, the prime video guys, like, good luck for the rest of the team who don't follow top 14 every single week because they will not have a clue of who's on the pitch. Not a clue. There will be a lot of nodding. I think myself and Johnny will be speaking. There will be a lot of, <laughs> yes, you know, you're right. So Makalu, you can't miss him. Yes, there will be Sorin Jalibert. Yes, there's going to be a few guys, few friendly, uh, renowned faces. Dulan is coming back at fullback, you know, after be, having a yeah, brilliant international cool career. Uh, he's a fantastic player. He's just been struggling a tiny bit for the last couple of years but he's back and he's moved to La Rochelle with John O'Gibbs and Ronan O'Gara and he's doing well um, there's going to be some some really 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 interesting uh, guys to, to, to come and to play but there's a lot of guys that I'm going to challenge uh, the, the English public or the English broadcasting team to actually know because there's even I struggle so I'm telling you that there's a few guys but there's a, there's Makalu is, I mean, Johnny mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. He's been freakishly good. He is made for international rugby. I cannot wait to see him in a relatively open game. They should have some space against Italy as well. Uh, playing in Paris, great pitch, whatever. The conditions should be okay. He's got pace. He's fantastic in the line out. He's got this ability to break defenses and to create something out of nothing all the time. Uh, Sorin has been promoted captain. There was a really beautiful moment. I thought it was quite smartly done. That's where you see the, the management side of Rafael Ibanez. So obviously because of the three team sheet things, there was basically a complete turnover of the squads, but they managed to overlap just over one day. So they played Sunday against Scotland, flew back obviously Sunday night or something. They all met in Marcoussi and the, the following squad, the, the, the guys who were, who were coming to complete the squad, because I think from last week, there's like, Eight guys that are staying on or something like that. Not, not, not more than that. Maybe 10 maximum. And so the, the, the following 25 or, tw- or, or, or yeah, 25 guys who arrived on Sunday night, everybody met. So 60 players basically were in Marcoussi on Monday. And Charles Olivon gave a really good speech about, listen, this is it for us. Our Autumn Nations Cup is done. We wish you all the very best. And I just want to give my captaincy to Baptiste Sorin. And I'm telling you that I trust in him 150%. Well, they play together in Toulon, huh? so they're quite tight. Uh, and um, and I want you guys to believe in him because a lot is going to be asked on him. You know, I just thought it was a it was, it was smart. I think it was very smart to show a unity in terms of the squads, a passing of of the, of the order. We wish you the absolute best. Keep on doing the job for us to all win. I think I I was really impressed by that. I thought it was great. But just to before I let Johnny finish, yeah, Makalu, uh, Jalibert, Serin, I can't wait to see them. Movaka coming back at at. Uh, at Hooker, but there's Cameron Voki, there's uh, Jelonche, who's one of the toughest hitters good, of, eh? of top 14. Uh, he is, a, I think, he's the French Juan Smith. He's that, that solid, solid six or eight big unit. I rate him highly. Uh, can't wait to see all of them. There's the very cute and great story about Jean-Pascal Barak, who was number 10 for Toulouse and for Beritz and for loads of clubs who didn't really make it, struggled massively, went to the sevens 
absolutely killed it, came as medical joker for Clermont. I think we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago. And now he ends up being picked and starting at 12 for France. So I'm not sure he's going to be considering the, the depth of, of quality there is. He's not going to be a starter for France in the next three years. Okay, but still, it's a huge, huge... Um, uh, reward for him to be called up and to start at 12 and I really can't wait to see them all and and Gabin Villiers as well starts yeah, from he comes awesome. from 7 and Federal 1 in Rouen so there's some great depth and I can't wait to see them all play I think it takes us really back nicely to Scholze's point in that when he was at Toulon none of these guys would be even getting game time um, and like my example I've mentioned before like I went to I signed first in Montpellier I played in front of Kylian Galatier he never played a game um, I got a phone call that time to go to Bayonne and they said, look, we've got nobody in our academy. It was Charles Olivon who was there, but they did refuse to play him. I then went to cast. I played ahead of Anthony Jolanche and Mathieu Babiot. Like the talent is there. Just we've been blocking it. So the fact that this season is the first season in a long time, the Gifregs have changed. A lot of these French kids are getting game time. Two fantastic under-20s generations have come through, winning things up there every year, like Shawzi says. The boost that gives you, once you've beaten South Africa and New Zealand at age-grade level, you're not scared of playing them at a full level. Um, and that's it. You've mentioned pretty much all the names, but the fact is now, French rugby is developing a certain level of depth and generating a pool of players that have always been there, but now they're getting game time. And they're showing in top 14 against big players because there's still a, a cream of foreigners that are still there the sort of middle-level guy is gone. But they're proving that week in, week out in French rugby in top 14 that they can play. Physically, they're ready. And I think the other point that Shaw's raised was mentally, are they ready, ready to drive? Not just be there and have a sort of meal ticket and ride on the coattails of Johnny Wilkinson, but can these guys develop and actually drive their teams about the pitch? And the answer is yes. You look at the roles, whether it's line-out callers, uh, props that can scrummage, centers that can make decisions, tens that can kick well. The French rugby is developing a pool nicely. And the guys you mentioned, like I'm, I'm delighted to see Makalu there. He would have been there earlier if it wasn't for injury, but I think he's made for international rugby the way he runs and his skill set. Anthony Jolanche again at eight. I mean, these guys, all three of them can pretty much play six, seven, and eight. So there's now huge pressure because French rugby 2020 has done so well. Who's going to come in and pinch places off the starting 15? So you've got Cameron Walkie, who's great lineup forward, gets around the pitch, carries well. Anthony Jolanche, Seko Makalu, that back row, you could easily change that. That could be the first choice back row. In two years, it quite easily could be changed and flitted around if Olivon gets injured or Aldrit. Like, you're not scared of these guys coming in. It doesn't devalue the back row in any way. Um, and then the back line, I know a little bit less, but the guy that, again, watching Toulon and commentating on some of their games, Gabin Villiers, the guy that you mentioned, who's come through the sevens, I'm like, who is this kid? Like, who is this guy? And obviously, Fabian knows him well because he had him at Toulon, but... If you haven't watched Top 14 and you haven't seen him, you don't know anything about him, but he's decisive, he's good over ball, he's rapid, he finishes things off. Again, another guy, we're talking about Dominici and little rapid French rugby players. He's another guy that's special and hasn't had his chance because they've had so much depth in the back three, but looking forward to seeing him again. Um, fantastic talent. So look, it's a changeover, but it's not like they have a player pool that is the size of Scotland or Wales or Ireland. France are now developing a big pool of players and I'm excited to see these guys get game time at international level. It should be a great, great game against Italy. I was going to say Villiers, a surprising number of turnovers as well for, for a little guy in the back. Seven specialists. Again, that's the thing, when, you, when you're that level athlete, um, and I think that's one of the main 
One of the biggest positives of, of Sevens rugby is you've seen that those seven blokes on the pitch have to develop an all-round skill set. So you saw ridiculous things like them jumping in lineup, but they all have to be able to compete for ball, pass accurately, sidestep, and, and work on their skills. And he's a guy that now you see him time and time again statistically leading the charts. Every time you get to a wide channel, you get an edge. You're worried because he's there in that scrum cap and he's going to pinch the ball. So add something else that, you know, a Teddy Toma isn't going to do with that, you know, physical part of his game that's maybe missing, but fantastic in attack, but complementary um, and add something completely different. So I'll be interested to see again how Fabian uses him in attack. Um, he's a freakish athlete. Looking forward to seeing what he can do. And just quickly, how do you see the game going in general? Because so many fresh faces, so many new combinations. Is there any danger that, that Italy could win this game? So my, my, f- my fear is that, Italy chucked together the best 50, 60 minutes I've seen from them in a long time against Scotland. Um, I would temper that with the fact that they've never, ever won in Paris. Um, I think that even though, that yes, there is turnover, these guys have all been part of the, the wider group and they've all trained, so they all know the systems, they know what they're doing. And I really hope, you know, you're going to be bossed around by Serran and Jalibert. I hope that with these guys controlling the game, a line-out that should function well, a scrum, you know, you take out your first choice, you stick in Aldeguer. I mean, that guy can scrummage. Your scrum's not going to be on roller skates. So I think they've got enough quality. Um, and I really hope that as a team, they can function and, and beat Italy this weekend. I, that would be the worry that you change too much, but I'm confident. I think they've got a confidence and a buzz about French rugby and about them as a group. Um, they're led really well. And I, I think they can beat Italy this weekend in Paris. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree what he said. Basically, the I think Movaka, Seren, Teddy Thomas, Jalibert, obviously, uh, they, they, they're going to step up. They're going to be there. Um, and no disrespect, but you need a full um, Italy side to actually challenge it. And just the fact that Jake Pelledri is not is not playing, for instance, he's just too too important to this uh, Italian team. Loss, eh? So I don't know if uh, he's down to injury, right? But he's you would have needed a full full. A full side, basically, to really challenge them. And considering the amount of, of hype there is around the game, and I mean, clearly Fabian Galtier is like, you want to jump on this successful boat? The first successful boat in the last 10 years? You want to finally wear a, a, a fantastic French jersey? You want to go and win titles? You want to be part of a successful future? You want to look at the World Cup in 2023? Well, here's your chance. So if that same team needs to play 12 games, that's a different story. But that's the first time. So I think just the passion, the energy, and, and the reward that can be at the end of that game is going to be enough for them to blow them away. There's too much motivation. The, the one guy that I forgot to mention is Moefana, the center who's on the bench from Bordeaux, who we, like, again, I've seen him play, I think, five or six games, come through the under-20s. I think he came through Colomier, if I'm not mistaken, a couple of seasons ago. But he's a freak. Another one that nobody really knows about. I've seen him in maybe four or five games for Bordeaux and he can change games, like defensively smashes people, goes forward well. And you wouldn't have heard of him if you hadn't watched top 14, but he's another one. I think he's from the Wallace Islands as well and came over when he was like 13, 14, like great story. But he's another one, came through under 20, successful young guy, he's killing in top 14 and deserves his chance. So really exciting to see. So come on then, you both got it almost bang on last week. What's the score going to be? Hmm. I'll give it uh, 32-12 for France. Mate, I was going to go 32 as well. That's ridiculous. Um, I'm going to go 32-17. Bit more of a game in it for Italy. Um, I think they're actually looking better than they have done in a long time. So a bit more credibility and a few more points. 32-17 for France. We shall see. And just very briefly, because we have touched on this before, Benji, you said that's it, done. And earlier we, we kind of 
said maybe they could bring some of the first choice players back. If they do win, if it is La Crunch, if it is England, France, is that it? Are we going to see this French team this weekend playing against England or what's going to happen? I, I don't know. I have a feeling that they might ask something, but then I saw all the social media posts from the players being like, right, good luck. I'm done with this, with this Autumn Nations Cup gutted, but now, you know, let's go France. Uh, the Antoine Dupont, the Ramos, the Charles Olivon. So it, it seems pretty loud and clear that that's how it's going to be. Um, to be honest, to understand what this meant, I think I needed to f- feel this competition from the inside. And being in Murrayfield with no crowd to this great f- competition, but which is a fake, fake Six Nations because Japan couldn't make it and then Fiji ended up pulling out. So the only new team is Georgia, which has not been a a huge challenge to other sides with all due respect. Um, I think I can understand basically the fact that if they win this weekend, they're going to end up playing uh, England because I believe England will put 30 points to, to Wales as well. Pretty straightforward game, 30 to 10 or something like that. Uh, and then it's going to be to players to rise up to the challenge. You must ask for, you could have Romain Tamak will be back because he pulled that once. You might have Boutier. I don't know if injury-wise they'll be back. Um, but yes, I, I do think that's it and it won't come back. And just to finish off with, top 14, only a few games, but um, big win for your old club, Johnny. Yeah, huge. Um, again, it's weird we're talking with Shawzi and Toulon. It's not the Toulon side of old. Um, clearly a state of transition, but the fact that at Bayonne have knocked off Toulon, they've also beaten Clermont and Montpellier at home, that's a huge statement. Um, and I know they've been working hard, digging in, with all these different sessions they've been doing and trying to train together as best they can. So, no, delighted for them. It's gone off to a good start of the season for them. Um, and fingers crossed it can continue. They've done really well. And anything we're looking forward to this weekend in the top 14? Um, Clermont going to Castres after two consecutive cancelled games, I, I believe. Um, well, the same game cancelled twice, basically. They were meant to play Lyon and they got postponed. So, they're going to Castres. Castres were properly pissed off after losing at home to Bordeaux last minute. Jalibert pushing everyone and all that. Uh, always a very tense game, but I see the lineup that Clermont put. There's a solid, solid game going on. There's Timaniva, there's Fritz Lee, um, there's Pisiliato on the bench, there's Judicel Concoria at six, there's a pair of center, George Moala, Api Nakalevu. Api Nakalevu is basically Mike Tyson. He's a, me- <laughs> a meter 80, 125. He's got three fake teeth in the middle. He is tough as nails. And George mm. Moala is an absolute beast of a player yeah. who is the most powerful center in, in, in rugby, in European rugby at the moment, to be fair. So the two of them together, the wingers might not see the ball for a couple of weeks, but <laughs> wow, they're going to hit hard that, that cast defense. So I'm really looking forward to that one tonight. Very good. Thanks, Benji. A big thanks to Simon Shaw. And thank you, Johnny. Massive congratulations again and good luck with the sleep in the next week. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Don't forget to subscribe, leave us a review. You can watch us on YouTube, every podcast platform out there. And we will be back with another episode next week. Au revoir, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Au revoir. Bye.